What companies deserve your hard-earned dollar? Which would you want to work for? How can you know if they share your values? Just ask us. Just Capital is a nonprofit that tracks who really means business in supporting workers, customers, communities, the environment, and shareholders. We measure progress, track success, and help them be better. When you see the Just Capital seal, you know what's real because just business is better business. Visit justcapital.com to learn who makes your dollar count. Republicans Darren Bailey and Tom DeVore, who repeatedly challenged Pritzker about his COVID restrictions, have found a new cause. They are taking the state's recently passed ban on assault weapons to court. Well, um, I think that I don't know that the FOID card has the background checks, you know, with the federal background checks. I think we all agree. I don't think we have, you know, yeah, we can look at that. And I, there's a, there's an area of compromise. That's uh, Mr. Darren Bailey. He was asked, well, why is this unconstitutional? It's constitutional in other states. Uh, DeVore filed a suit Monday in White County. More than 1,600 plaintiffs are listed. Their lawsuit follows another suit in Effingham County. DeVore uh, filed that one, too. Um, and Attorney General Kwame Raul yesterday filed a petition asking the appellate court to vacate a temporary restraining order. That was issued late Friday. That's the one with 800-plus plaintiffs. That filed by DeVore as well. The Illinois State Rifle Association filed a separate challenge to the law in federal court. Now let's welcome Peter Hancock back to WLS, a returning guest. He writes on uh, all things State House for Capital News Illinois. Peter, welcome. How are you, sir? Good. How are you, John? Doing very well. Thank you for your time. So my understanding, and you can elaborate on this, please, the Illinois Constitution requires that bills be read by title into the record on three different days in each chamber that process would normally take at least five days to complete. But the Democrats, during the veto session, running out of time, did something called gut and replace. And I understand these lawsuits are based on their objection to that being unconstitutional. Can you elaborate? Yeah, this is really a very frequently used procedure in the state house and for outside observers, it can be maddening uh, trying to track uh, the, you know, what bill number is this language in now? Cause it keeps getting moved. Uh, but what they did, they had a bill that had passed out of the house, came over to the Senate. It was read two times and then they strip out the contents of that bill and insert the contents of, uh, the, um, assault weapons ban into that bill number, pass it send it back to the House. The House just has to do an up or down concurrence vote. Um, the language actually had been in another bill. There were multiple hearings uh, in Chicago. And, you know, during those hearings, we heard gun rights advocates say, you know, you pass this bill, we'll see you in court. And uh, I think even uh, when it was passing out of the Senate, I think one of the last things that Senate President Don Harmon said was, yeah, well, we'll see you in court. I, I mean, everybody that. knew it was going to court. Right, right. So, yeah. Uh, so that's not a big surprise to anybody. Um, Any news and, from Kwame Rule today? Um, all we know is that I think on Monday he did file an appeal asking uh, the 1st District Appellate Court. No, not 1st District. 5th District Appellate Court uh, to vacate the temporary restraining order. Uh, we'll see how that goes. Peter, when they decide they're going to file a challenge to this in one county or another, 
do attorneys generally go judge shopping? Oh, I think there was, yeah, a lot of venue shopping was going on here. Uh, the judge in Effingham County uh, is a former state attorney, and I think he has some fairly close ties to Thomas DeVore. Um, he, too, was challenging uh, the attorney general on some of the COVID-19-related orders. Um, so, you know, I, I think it's fair to say all of these cases are being filed in southern Illinois. Uh, you're not seeing them filed in Cook County. So, Yeah, historically, what has the Illinois Supreme Court done in cases similar to this? Well, um, I don't know uh, that much about their history on gun rights. I can tell you this thing about breaking the uh, three readings rule. Mm. Uh, Gun replace. Yeah, Mm -hmm. those kinds of things. Uh, Basically, their attitude has been that if the president of the Senate and the Speaker of the House both certify that this was done in a procedurally correct manner, we're not going to second guess them. (laughs) You know, it reminds me, I'm I'm reading this book on the CIA right now called Legacy of Ashes. And they, they go through all the presidents dealing with the CIA and what they, CIA, yeah, Central Intelligence Agency, yes. Yeah. And uh, and they go through all of these presidents, they get up to Nixon, and Nixon's response was just, if the president does it, it's not illegal. And yeah. actually, that still, that still holds in D.C. in arguing about documents, believe it or not. Yeah. Um, so I can't really speak to that. I remember when Nixon made that comment on the David Frost show or uh, he was being interviewed by David Frost (laughs) and he said, you know, if the president does it, it's not illegal. And gasps went across living rooms all over America. And all these years later, we've not settled that question. And we may have to at some point, really. Can you indict a sitting U.S. president? Yes or no. For what reason? If it doesn't involve national security, everything involves national security. That's what they would say. So you can't do it. But, you know, maybe Gerald Ford. Can you indict a former president? Yes. Can you indict a former president? Gerald Ford probably historically, when you look back on it, made the wrong decision. We should have let Nixon go through the process. If for no other reason, as painful as it might have been for the country, and I don't think it would have been as painful then as it might be now uh, because of the lunacy out there. But we should have established that precedent back in, you know, 74, 75, 76. Well, some people say that. I actually, oddly enough, had the opportunity uh, to interview uh, President Ford uh, long after he was out of office. Um, there was an event going on where I was uh, involving former Senator Bob Dole. Uh, he was going to show up. He couldn't because of health reasons. But anyway, I asked him, you know, what was your thinking behind the pardon? And very unapologetically said, I had to get Watergate off my desk. Uh, the country was going through inflation. We hadn't yet pulled all of our troops out of Vietnam. I mean, there was a lot of stuff going on. He's, I had to get Watergate off my desk so I could move on. Uh, I wonder if anybody really asked Al Haig if a deal was brokered. Um, I don't know if they asked Al Haig that. Uh, but, you know, I feel comfortable when Gerald Ford said there was no deal. And I think there was no deal. Well, as uh, a Michigander... And a fellow Dutchman, I think Gerald Ford was America's greatest president. I don't care if he's elected or not. Well, he was sure a heck of a nice guy. Um, <laughs> yes, he was. Yeah. You know, my father once, uh, Gerald Ford was our congressman, obviously, and he came to town for tulip time. I grew up in Holland, Michigan. So 
Tulip time was where uh, all the governors and Romney and uh, Ford all had to come all the time and uh, Milliken and all the politicians. Rumsfeld had a house in my hometown and everybody else. So they were all marching the uh, the Tulip time parade on Saturday. And my dad had a pharmacy, a Rexall pharmacy, right on 8th Street, downtown Hallam, Michigan. And uh, Gerald Ford walked in with the mayor, who was a buddy of my dad, and threw a check down on the counter and just uh, told my dad, cash this check. And my dad uh, took that as kind of being too arrogant for his uh, taste. And he said, I'm going to need to some, see some ID. And, uh, <laughs> and the mayor's uh, face went white, of course. And Ford whipped out his wallet and opened it up, and there was the U.S. House of Representatives' uh, ID in there. My dad said, that'll be fine. Sure, I'll- Named one of the best personal finance podcasts, The Stacking Benjamin Show with Joe and his friends makes financial literacy fun. I got an email today from the LenPenzo.com HR department. I find oh. it really interesting. I'm an employee of one at this company, so but somebody from the HR department sent me an email telling me that I had a raise. If I just opened the attachment, I could see how much my raise was. Make sure you click on the links that are in there, too. <laughs> oh, absolutely. There's yeah, safe. I can't wait. This is I'm excited. Find out more by searching the Stacking Benjamins podcast wherever you listen. Cast your check. <laughs> I wish my dad had saved that check. Yeah, would have been uh, would have been a souvenir. Peter Hancock, thank you for the tutorial, sir. We'll read more at Capital News Illinois tomorrow. Okay. Well, thank you very much. Take care. Have a great day. Welcome to Talkville, the ultimate Smallville rewatch podcast. Title Transference aired October 27, 2004. Director James Marshall, writers Todd Slavkin, Darren Swimmer. I really like this episode, and I'm surprised that you don't like it as much as you thought you did. I actually respect your opinion more than I respect my own in general. (laughs) (laughs) When you say things are good and I check them out, they are. Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen.